0: Well, let's stand together for the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read two passages from the prophet Isaiah. The first will be Isaiah chapter 9, and then the second will be from Isaiah chapter 53. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Let's pray together. Father, your word proclaims that we should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, Father, I pray today that we... Have an appetite for your word. That's even greater than the appetite we would have for food. And Father, that we would live by these words that we've read, not just know about them, not just have heard them, but we really live by them. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We can be seated, and uh, Isaiah fifty-three will be the passage that we emphasize this morning as we continue to think through this remarkable prophecy of Isaiah and uh, Isaiah the two passages we read together Isaiah 9 and then Isaiah 53 at first glance seemed like they could not possibly be talking about the same person right Hundreds of years before Jesus was on the earth, Isaiah prophesied. And as they listened to the prophecies, one of them spoke about what we might call a conquering king, right? You heard that from Isaiah 9. Everlasting father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. He'll sit on the throne of David forever. And then in a second reading, we read about a person who's going to come and he's going to suffer tremendously. In fact, he's going to suffer in such a way that people will hide their faces from him. They won't even want to look at him. That, uh, that there's no form or majesty that we should desire him. And then he's going to be oppressed and afflicted. So we can feel the tension pretty readily, right? Last week I was with my family up at Life Action Family Camp and y'all are not going to believe what happened to me. All sorts of families gathered there for a, for a week of uh, this awesome Bible teaching and having fun together. And so families come from all over, and one of the men that was there was from Indianapolis. And we got, over the course of a couple of days, to be kind of good friends. We would see each other at mealtime and in the services together, and uh, sort of notice we gravitated to the same activities. Um, and the next to last day that we were there, he said, do you want to just throw some Frisbee? Now, this is the one skill I have in the world, is I'm ambidextrous when it comes to frisbee throwing. This is how pathetic my athletic life has become, that I was going to show off and throw the frisbee with both hands. That's where I am in my life at this stage. But he began to throw the frisbee, and we're at this area, and he launches the frisbee, and I start to run after the frisbee, and I'm having flashbacks to my younger days when uh, I could run and not hurt, and, and that was not this day, but I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm zeroed in on the frisbee, and I catch the frisbee, and then the next step, and this is serious now, I fall into a bush. (laughs) The second time, the second time in two months, I find myself laying face down, feet up in the bush, and I have a couple of thoughts. One, this is just ridiculous, this is how men think though, did I hold on to the frisbee, as if this were like the Super Bowl and it would be incomplete? I, I maintain possession of the frisbee, and in NFL parlance, I—I um, I, uh, well, I just lost the phrase. I—I uh, I, I maintained the frisbee, I guess, it's possession through the fall or whatever it is. Yeah, and and then and then second, I thought, did he do that on purpose? Because if he did that on purpose, I was actually pretty impressed that he had thrown it, and there I was, and uh, at one moment just well, I was going to say gliding along. At one moment, lumbering along, catch the frisbee, and boom, a stumbling block. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, this very issue we're talking about is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. The stumbling block is this. How can a conquering king and the suffering servant be one and the same? Now, to them it doesn't even make any sense. And I feel like we can relate and understand why it wouldn't make any sense. And this is the very issue that they became frustrated with Jesus during his ministry because they desired Isaiah 9, guy. And they didn't understand Isaiah 53. And this is important because this is still true of where we live. Why was that? Because the deepest desires that they had were political and not spiritual they want a conquering king to come and drive out the romans that's what they want and in jesus's ministry hey we've read it he set himself up as one who could do that now if you're gonna if you're gonna overthrow the romans who at that time were the most powerful force on the planet jesus demonstrates that he's your guy right I mean, he heals people who are paralyzed. He heals people who are injured. And worst case scenario, you, get a, you raise an army up, right? And they get killed. Jesus has demonstrated he can speak, and they come back. And again, and in those days, uh, if you were a, a conquering general, one of the things that uh, was most uh, out of your control was the weather, right? I mean, particularly if you're going to do a, a, a naval assault from the ocean to the dry land, and you could have the, the schematics all planned out, but a storm comes up, you're, you're in trouble. What's Jesus demonstrated? He can speak, and the waves cease, right? And, and then, in those days, the largest hurdle to raising a large standing army is, okay, you can get them, but then how are you going to feed them, right? What's Jesus demonstrated? You give me a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread, I'll keep the army fed. We're ready to move. That's why, friends, in John chapter 6, when he had fed the 5,000, is at that moment, it says, they sought to make him what? King by force. Here's our guy. But Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 53 are the same man. And Jesus has not come for a lesser mission than to deliver us from our spiritual bondage he came for greater purposes than we can conceive and he does it by being is he everlasting father prince of peace mighty god you better believe he is but the conquering king is also the suffering servant and when the moment comes for him to very clearly declare that i've come to give my life as he says a ransom for many jesus said i've come to seek and save the lost when that moment comes his response in Isaiah's prophecy is he's going to be silent. That's what we read today. And as we've been marking our way or traveling through Isaiah 53's prophecy of the suffering servant, we just kind of grab a hold of a word at a time, right? And so the word we're going to grab a hold of today is in Isaiah 53 and verse number 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And we're going to look at this because it's not just them back then that preferred a political deliverer to a savior. We still wrestle with this today. And so we want to see Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And in order to see it, of course, we've got to emphasize the cross. The Bible's emphasis is calvary so that's going to be our emphasis amen it's at the cross that the kingship of christ and the suffering of christ come together it's at the cross that the sinfulness of man and the holiness of god converge right it's where grace and truth come together it's where jesus demonstrates that he's the lion and the lamb he's the king and he is the one upon whom the lord has laid our iniquity It's at the cross, friends, that Jesus offers an amazing exchange. He will take all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your condemnation. He will take it upon himself. And in exchange, he'll give you all of his righteousness. And we're going to study the silence of the lamb at the cross and during his trial and the hours leading up. But one of the things I want you to mark down in your heart is this, that the day comes when you stand before a holy God and he may ask, why should I welcome you into my heaven? Guess what you're going to be able to be on that day? You're going to be able to be silent because someone else speaks for those who have faith in Christ. And what Jesus has done on the cross and his glorious and victorious resurrection has already spoken for you. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to rejoice about anything, rejoice that your name is written in whose book? The Lamb's Book of Life. So let's um, turn in our Bibles. You're going to hold your spot there in Isaiah 53. That's our launching point, and we always land where we launched. Uh, I just want you to see in Mark's Gospel... We'll use his account, Mark chapter 14, a few moments when Jesus is silent. Mark chapter 14, we're going to read a number of verses together, and the most important thing we can do in our lives is to pay attention to what God says in his word. So let's begin in Mark 14, 53. It says, after Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, he's been arrested. It says, Mark 14, 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Now, Jesus is the high priest. He's the true high priest, and now we have this high priest who had become more of a, you ready for it, a political officer. And all the chief priests And the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. That's important that you note that. They weren't just seeking testimony. They They already had the end in mind, right? So this is what we would call political corruption. They don't, they're not interested in facts. They've already made a conclusion, and there's Jesus before them. They were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Many bore false witness against them, but their testimony did not agree. They couldn't even get their story straight. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days, I will build it another, not made with hands. Yet even about their testimony, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is this? What is it that these men testify against you? Verse 61, but he remained silent. Their first reference in this passage to the silence of Jesus. He remained silent. He didn't say, y'all have lost y'all's minds. Y'all are corrupt. This is a sham. He says, nothing. The high priest kept prodding, right? It asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. In other words, he's saying, I am Isaiah man. I am Daniel. When he prophesied, here's the king of kings. I am that man man. But friends, he's also the suffering servant. I think it's helpful for us to see that before he comes back in all of his glory, as Paul says in Philippians 2, he who he, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? I think it's important to note, by the way, here, Nobody in Jerusalem knew their Bibles better than the high priest. You wouldn't be able to aspire to that position without basically having about the whole Old Testament memorized. So are we ready for an application? Familiarity with the teachings of Scripture does not guarantee familiarity with God himself. You can know about God and not know God. In fact, the the very people who are most opposed to Jesus are the ones who knew their Bibles best. So we need to caution ourselves against the people who know the book, but we don't really know the God of the book. Does that make sense? Now, I think you should memorize scripture, but not to check a mark. we memorize the Bible so that we know him, you know, you can know about somebody, but not know him. It's as true as I grew up as a sports fan. I love Joe Montana, number 16, played at Notre Dame, San Francisco 49er quarterback won Super Bowl 16, 19, 23, and 24, would have won Super Bowl 25, in my humble opinion, had not New York Giants linebacker Leonard Marshall about killed the man when he sacked him in the 1990 NFC Championship game. I know a lot about him, but I don't know him. You can know a lot. You can know the Ten Commandments. You can know that every verse we read, you're going to say, some of you this morning, I know these verses, I know this story, but do you know him? That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can know the hope to which you have been called. And friends, if you just know about him, that's not the rock that'll stand when, not if, when the storms come. Well, Jesus is silent before the high priest. Verse 66, Jesus is silent when his own beloved friend betrays him. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants, girls of the high priest, verse 66, came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with him, and you know this perhaps story where where not once, not twice, three times they asked Peter, are you a follower of his? We can tell by your accent, you're from Nazareth, one of those Galilean guys, aren't you? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. And John's gospel says when the rooster crowed, Peter looked and he saw Jesus. And Jesus didn't say anything. And then in verse 15, I'm sorry, chapter 15. As the mockery of a trial continues, Jesus goes from the religious authorities to the political authorities to the Romans. Verse 1, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, suppressed and afflicted and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, him, excuse me, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, have you no answer to make? So he made many, so see how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Why no answer? Why not speak up here? And here's what I think the silence of Jesus means. His silence is in response to a silence he himself had heard. You remember this? Before all this was taking place, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane in great agony praying. And he said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. And you know what the response was? So what does the silence of Jesus speak to us? If we ask it this way, what does the silence say? I believe it's this, the silence of Jesus tells us he was resolved to finish the work of salvation the Father had given him to do. You know, sometimes it's just time to stop talking about it and do it. That's what Jesus is doing. He had said over and over and over. If you read through the Gospels, we're going to go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be turned over to the hands of of sinful men. And on the third day, arise. He had said it over and over and over. And there comes a time, friends, where it's time to stop talking about it and actually do it. What I want you to know about Christ is you have a Savior who's not all talk. Amen? He doesn't just talk about it and talk about it and talk about we tend to just talk and talk right some of us been talking about doing something for years and years and years we just never get around to actually doing it i've been reading this book uh, rocket men by uh robert kirsten it's about in uh christmas time 1968 when they launched apollo 8 and uh three men sent to the moon right the whole first half of the book is all about the preparations they've made I mean, these three guys, and they've worked all their lives. They're around the age of 40 when they finally get on the rocket to go. And for weeks on end, they train and they train and they train. They go through every possible scenario, but there comes a time when you strap in, and we're either doing this or we're not doing it. And then here's a statement mission control makes, right? Mission, go. And when that rocket starts towards the moon, the astronaut said, man, It shook us so much. This is pretty interesting. This is just, you know, a little fun fact here. That when that thing fired up, it fired up with enough energy to electrify the United Kingdom. And it goes to the moon. Well, God didn't go to the moon. He actually came from glory to the earth. And you know, the Old Testament is all about the preparations. That's what the Old Testament is. It's all pictures of Jesus. When Abraham's going to sacrifice Isaac and God intervenes and says no remember what Abraham's statement was when Isaac said what what are we going to offer as the burnt offering God himself will provide the sacrifice when we get to Noah what's that whole story about there's only one way y'all there's only one way to make it safely through the righteous wrath of God get to David and Goliath is that just a story about maybe picking yourself up by your bootstraps and going against the odds no no, it's not. It's a story about Jesus. A giant conqueror's coming. We've got giants in our life called sin and death that we cannot overcome. And here comes a shepherd boy who's also a king. But when he shows up, nobody in the camp says, oh, there's somebody who can take Goliath on. Nobody says that. He's criticized by who? His own brothers. Stumbling block. folly can't take Goliath on. And then he stands before Goliath and says, the Lord I fight for and with and through him. And the giant falls. Now when Jesus arrives, oh there have been so many preparations, so many plans but now he's the real thing. And there comes a time right, when we stop talking about it and we do it. Now, turn with me real quick in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. I you to see something. Do you see something? Then I'm going to give you two applications this morning for your life in response to the silence of the suffering servant. Luke chapter 9 verse 51 is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. It says in Luke 9, 51, when they drew near for him to be taken up, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that phrase, maybe your Bible uh, translation reads, he set his face like a flint. It means that he's got his focus at Calvary and nothing's going to knock him off course. He's determined To go. Why is he determined to go? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. My food, he says, is to do the will of the Father. Isaiah 53, it was the will of God to crush him. But I want you to know that at this moment when it becomes clear that he's got a singular focus that his followers begin to diminish in numbers this is important for us because a lot of people were good with jesus as long as he was healing them feeding them helping them but when it became clear that his message was you got bigger problems than temporary disease and temporary issues you've got sin issues that have <laughs> led to distance between you and a holy god when he made it clear that he wasn't going to detour from that singular mission, the followers got fewer and fewer and fewer. Why? Because people always prefer a political deliverer to a savior. Always. Jesus had one disciple in particular, who as you read through the Gospels, had an allegiance that was deeper politically than spiritually. Do you know what that disciple's name is? His name was Judas. You just have to mark it down. Allow the word of God to speak clearly to us that when Jesus said, this is what I'm really about, more and more people departed. Let me give you two applications. Well, just read it here. When, when he set his face to go to Jerusalem, he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Do you think they would have received him if he was ready to duplicate the feeding of the 5,000? Absolutely they would have. But when he makes it clear, this is what I've come to do, that I'm Isaiah 53, not just Isaiah 9 let me give you two applications the first is this when it feels in your life that God is silent and distant choosing my words carefully when it feels that way remember when Jesus was silent and very near might not be the best way of saying that because he's always near But when things get uh, foggy, and you feel like God is silent and distant, remember when he was silent and oh so very near. Hey, if you're still open to Luke's gospel, turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verse number 18. You're going to have times in your life when God feels far away. Anybody with me? When he feels like he's... You're even going to have some times perhaps in your life when you're like, is there even a God at all? Because my life is spinning out of control. Remember, not if the winds and the rains come, when the winds and the rains come. And I want to give you an encouragement From Luke chapter 7, because there's a man in Luke 7 who is extremely discouraged. Ever been there? This might surprise you who it is. Jesus said he's the greatest man ever born of woman. How about that? Can we just be honest for a moment? If the greatest man born of woman had a season of discouragement, can we all agree we're all prone to seasons of discouragement? Fear, discouragement, doubt, bitterness, anger. Look at Luke 7, verse 16. Fear sees them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This whole report, or this report about him, spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. It's an exciting time. But then we have somebody who's really wrestling. Verse 18 The disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, reported all these things to him. People are excited, John. Great prophet has arisen among us, John. They're saying, God has visited us, John. And John's response, verse 19, calling two of his disciples, sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John! Mr. Locusts, Camelhead, Mr. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Mr. I am here to make straight the path of the Lord. Now, let's just ask for a moment, how did John get there? There's three things going on in John's life that I think we as a church family can mark down. Number one, he was suffering. He was suffering. He had been faithful to preach, he had not backed down. He had not been a political compromiser when Herod himself had some things going on in his life. For the sake of political expediency, John the Baptist did not water down his message and say, well, I would have said this, but now Herod's here, so I won't know. He proclaimed the word faithfully. And Herod arrested him, threw him in prison. One, John is suffering. Number two, he's cut off from other believers. He's in prison. The gathering together of the people of God, what we're doing right now, is very important for your faith. It's extremely important. Do not string weeks together where you don't meet with the people of God. Build your life around meeting with the people of God, not the other way around, right? You, you, the old charcoal illustrations, you got a charcoal fire going on and you remove one of the pieces of charcoal from the fire. It's just a matter of time before they cool off, the light dims, and it grows cold. And I think that's true for a believer who's taken out of the regular assembly of the worship with the people of God, and it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time when you're not with the people to sing these praises, to study the word. Now John's cut off. He's hanging by a thread, this bold and powerful preacher, his hopes flickering like a little candle. He's, he's uh, suffering, he's cut off, and the wicked seem like they're prospering. John's in prison in Herod's palace, where a bunch of people who don't care anything about the things of God are regularly getting together and they seem like they're all fine, right? And that leads him to be discouraged. The one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world takes two of his friends and says, would you go to him and just ask him, are you really him or should we look for another? And when the men, verse 20, came to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? I want you to notice what Jesus does. This is instructive to what to do for our discouragements. By the way, John the Baptist took his discouragement to Jesus. It's helpful. It's helpful. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered to them, Go and tell John to get his act together. Go and tell John I expected more out of him than that. No, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me can I articulate that last statement in a way that goes with what we're talking about blessed is the one who is not offended by me blessed is the one who understands I'm Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 9 now I want to preach the whole counsel of God John the Baptist doesn't receive that message and then the prison door flies open. He walks out. What happens to John the Baptist? They cut his head off. Who would you rather be today? John the Baptist or Herod? When it feels like God is silent and distant, remember when he was silent and near. We don't need something in addition to the cross to give us comfort and peace. We need a greater understanding of the cross to give us comfort and peace. We don't need to look for another, friends. Are you looking for another? Are you looking at money, prestige, power, political influence? Are you looking for better health report? Who are you looking to? Here's my encouragement to you. Look to the one who, when it came time to go to Jerusalem, didn't look anywhere else. and said, I'm going to deliver you. There will be seasons. There will be seasons when he feels like he's silent. You remember when he really was silent because he was standing in your place. That's application number one. A thousand years from now, friends, you will not be less thankful for the cross. You will be more thankful for the cross. So the cross proclaims God's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. You are loved with an everlasting love. Your sin, guilt, and shame are eternally covered. Build your life at Calvary. Second application I'm going to take straight from the Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. We'll probably be able to read two passages of Scripture without a whole lot of commentary on my part. That was a test to see if anybody said amen. You passed. The Bible itself gives us an application of the silent response of Jesus in the midst of his affliction. Remember, he was oppressed and afflicted in response to the religious leaders. His own dear friend betrayed him. The political leaders, he had it coming at all sides. 1 Peter chapter 2, it's a mark of God's grace, by the way, that this is Peter writing this. His ministry didn't end in the courtyard when he denied Jesus. The only spokesman of the grace of God are those who've made mistakes and been restored. The only perfect messenger was Jesus himself. So if you think in your life, man, I've gone too far, I've done too much, open the book and read, Amen. There's no mistake you've made that the cross of christ is not sufficient to cover and overcome to restore to renew first peter 2 21 for for to this you have been called because christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps got our attention he committed no sin Neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, here's the key, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It's a direct quote from Isaiah 53, by the way. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd. It's two important phrases. The shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus suffering unjustly, accused about things he did not do. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. You know what the most natural thing in the world to do when you're reviled is? Revile in return revile in return. But we have an example before us. So let's think about the example and then the application. If it was true that Jesus, while he was being nailed to the cross, his prayer is for the very ones nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. There will be few opportunities that you have in your life to proclaim the gospel with boldness and clarity, than when you are persecuted unjustly. And we're talking about the persecution that Jesus talked of. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others persecute you, revile you, and utter all sorts of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you so as you seek to live a God-honoring life just know the scripture already tells us anybody who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted at this stage as a follower of Jesus in this country very very minimal persecution but friends we have a lot of believers believing friends around the world that they can't do what we've done this morning just gather here in the open open the Bible proclaim the word But when persecution comes, we don't threaten or revile in return. We entrust him, we we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. In other words, well, that takes us right to Romans 12. Let's read this passage, get this application for our lives. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. We're reading two passages from two different people to make an application of the silence of Jesus. The first was a passage the Holy Spirit inspired a man who had denied Jesus not once, twice, three times on the night of his crucifixion. The second passage, Romans, is written by Paul, who the first time we meet him in Scripture is a persecutor of the church. With that understanding in mind, read verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Before Paul was a follower of Jesus, don't you imagine it drove him up the wall when he would persecute and curse Christians and they didn't curse in response? You know why? Because it doesn't make any sense to the earthly perspective. makes all the sense in the world for a follower of Jesus, however. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Here's the key. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not overcome do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good now we have no shot of living that out apart from saving faith in jesus and in the indwelling of the holy spirit because none of that comes natural i grew up with two older brothers from the get-go we learn right to avenge ourselves. Now, quickly and parenthetically, this is talking about persecution of those who follow Jesus. Now, if somebody is wronging you, abusing you, these scriptures are not saying you just sit and take it. No, no, no. You report that immediately. What it is saying is we don't take a posture of uh, every 80s action movie we saw growing up is on the basis of, somebody wronged me, I'm going to come back against them. You can entrust that God, in his superior sovereignty and knowledge, will balance all the books. You know what I mean? Because Jesus has dealt with sin, and God has a plan to deal with the sin of all those who don't have faith in Jesus. What I'm trying to tell you is, you don't have to be weighed down with the weight of revenge. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And then you become the most strange person on the planet. You don't revile in return, you feed your enemy. When your enemy's thirsty, you give him something to drink. You're not over Here's the key. You're not overcome by evil, but you overcome evil with good. Therefore, revenge is no longer our greatest ambition. Some of us live there, right? You've rehearsed the moment. Man, if I could just say this to them. Revenge is no longer our greatest ambition. The salvation of our enemies is. Do you have somebody in your life that you would rather see get their comeuppance than you would see them repent and believe in Christ? My salvation, my salvation is based on the fact that God himself was not that way. He could have given me my comeuppance. But instead... At great cost to himself. He went to the cross and paid for my sin. Now can we put both thoughts in mind? The one who went to the cross. Of the increase of his government. There shall be no end. He is. The king of kings. And the lord of lords. He will sit on the throne forever and ever. And I think this is part of what Paul has in mind. When he says. If God be for us. Who could be against us? He who did not spare his only son, how will he not graciously give us with him all things? Who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? It is God himself who justifies. So, can we build our lives here? We want to stand together, we want to pray together. You go to and stand with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And as a church family, what we we like to do is we like to take some time to respond to the Word. So, stay with me. (laughs) A couple of things. First of all, you may be here this morning and the whole notion of Jesus as a Savior is um, not something you're real, real familiar with. I just want you to know it would be my great privilege to sit down and talk with you, answer questions. We make uh, no uh, bones about it. We are a Jesus people. We are a gospel-believing people. We believe he is the only way to salvation. So I'd love to speak to you. Secondly, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you're in sort of a John the Baptist, Luke 7 situation. Discouraged. First thing I'd like to say to you is it's okay to be discouraged and not pretend that you're not. Sometimes church, man, is the place we feel pressure to the outward appearance. But my encouragement is do what John the Baptist did. Seek Jesus. Get some believing friends that you can pray with. As we uh, open the invitation here in a moment, you might want to come here and pray at the front Sometimes put in some physical action, but behind what your heart's thinking is helpful. Just say you come to the Lord. Maybe you confess, I don't want to look for another. I believe you are Him. God, give me help. Or perhaps today you have no doubt in your mind that you have a desire for revenge. My encouragement is that you lay that at the cross. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, as we sing, it be your word that speaks most clearly to us. Father, for those that are here that don't know Jesus, I pray that you'd use the word of God to open their eyes, the eyes of their heart, to the hope to which they've been called there is a glorious King who came as a suffering servant to take all of our sin, guilt, and shame. I pray for those that are here today that are discouraged, whether it's a season of suffering or a season of fear or doubt or anger, God, before they go, that they would entrust themselves to you. And then, Father, I pray for those of us who have relationships that are fractured or frayed or Unhealthy, might be even in our own home. God, that our greatest ambition would not be revenge or being right, but it would be seeing other people believe in Jesus. So help us, we need your help to be a people who would feed and serve our enemies. Father, I thank you that while we were yet your enemy, Christ died for us, so we can proclaim, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Lead our invitation time, may it be spirit-led, Christ-honoring, and glorifying to you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.